Dishonored is a stealth action-adventure game with a dark steampunk story set in a Charles Dickens London. Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Rees. I really enjoyed playing Dishonored and composer Daniel Licht's music didn't hurt one bit. His music is also dark, like the game, but its ambience is pretty deceptive. I loved the details of Daniel's score and totally loved the instruments he used, too. definitely has a very dark sensibility. It kind of starts you off feeling that there's not much hope. <laughs> <laughs> Within two minutes, you're in jail, I think. And I'm not giving too much away here because people could find that out right away. Mm-hmm. Or they could see that in the trailer. But yeah, I think in the uh, brief that the creators gave me, there was nothing about warmth given at all. Mm. I don't remember that word coming up. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want the music to feel um, comforting either in, cer- in a certain way. The music doesn't really uh, make you feel settled. <laughs> it, it's the first time that I can ever recall not being able to trust the music. The music would do something that would make me feel like I was in danger. So I would stop what I was doing and look around everywhere and realize, oh, no, he's just messing with me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, the music, um, they wanted to go with a, a very ambient approach for the music on this. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I tried to conceive of the music as this evil fog that rolls in and out. And so it's not necessarily tied to, um, it, it does not tip you off. I, I don't believe that it's programmed in such that that it's it's a tied to any kind of danger. So, mm-hmm. um, But it might give you the feeling that danger is always there. Right. That was kind of, that was kind of the idea. There's also, though, this really touching relationship, a very human side of the story between, you know, the Empress's 10-year-old daughter and Corvo, who is who we play as, and he's basically her, her bodyguard. And for me, that gave the story a level of humanity that I really kind of needed because of the darkness of the rest of the story. Can you talk about, um, you know, that element as well? Well, um, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say there was a bit of exaggeration to say that there was no warmth. <laughs> There are a few sympathetic characters in there, yeah. one being Emily and mm-hmm. one being Corvo. But they, they didn't want to go heavily on the cinematics. I don't know if you noticed, but yep. they, they said right out of the gate, we don't want, we want people to play this game experientially mm-hmm. as if it were a virtual reality, which is, you know, what it is, mm-hmm. and not 
spending a lot of time sitting watching stories. So I had the story, but um, we didn't spend a lot of time with the cinematics. So I kind of had to write in some of the characters into short, into very, not a lot of space, if you know what I mean. There wasn't a lot of time to develop the themes sure. because there's so few cinematics. Uh, a lot of my work is into creating the ambiences. A lot of the music that I wrote was for the ambiences, probably mm-hmm. less for the cinematics. Mm-hmm. And they did use my ambiences in to, to for some of the cinematics as well. So I wasn't involved in all of the scoring of every scene. But I did create a kind of a sound for um, certain areas that was a little warmer, a little... A little more neutral, shall we say. And then around the Emily, uh, there was some, some kind of like childlike kind of belly ambiences around the palace. Hammer Dulcimer. I use solo violin playing mm-hmm. harmonics and, and different kind of extended techniques. And I approached a, a mixture of, of 20th century techniques of like flute clusters and mm-hmm. bowed vibes, you know, and sort of a, kind of a soft version of Penderecki, if, if that if that make, makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, I sort of wanted to have an old timey feel because of the the whole vibe of the of the game was steampunk. It was as if it was London in Charles Dickens' times, but with this, you know, other sci-fi aspect to it. So I wanted to have something that felt old, but I wanted it to be set in a very stark, modern sound as well. Um, so there, it felt like a period piece, but not like a period piece. That was yes. that was my intention. And then I did use some, some more modern sounds, more um, kind of weird process percussion sounds as well. Glitchy reverse sounds, and as well to keep it, keep it add a little modern touch to it. some work with your nephew, John, and he sings on the credits song, right? Yeah, we wrote the, the credits song together. I work with John a lot. John works on Dexter as well, and we've done songs for Dexter. John is a really, really talented singer-songwriter. And I tend to work more as uh, more in the producer, but I also get into compositional as well, work with him. We did a song for the end of the game. Anyone who's gotten there has heard it. The idea was that you had to play the game to hear it. Of course, that's these days that's impossible because it was already out on YouTube Jeez. a day and a half after the game was released. <laughs> but the intention was is that it was a reward for those who who played through the game. Free over time, the music invades the violence. 
have worked for many years on Dexter, and that seems like it would be a really interesting project to work on. I saw that um, you have some video up on your website that I hope everyone goes to look at of you performing some of that music live, which also seems what a great opportunity for everyone to come and see how it get, how it happens. Yeah, I had this this crazy idea. I mean, uh, composers. Most film and TV composers these days work in studios. A lot of us don't work with just standard orchestral palettes anymore. You know, you bring in your orchestra, but then you also bring in whatever, strange instruments, more a recording studio type of uh, creation of music. And I had this crazy idea that I wanted to perform the music from Dexter live without tracks. So what ends up happening is I have a group of, I've been doing a concert with a group of between 11 to we've had as many as 18 players and basically i have to cart all these instruments onto the stage like i bring vibes i bring wine glasses i bring all sorts of stuff but we have managed to put together a show and a book and kind of narrowed it down to the most essential sounds and you know just working with the instruments that i have like the glockenspiel i'll I'll play the i'll bow the glockenspiel or we'll bow the vibes to create some interesting sounds and i think the audience finds it really fascinating because they've probably heard all this stuff before but they've never seen it done live and they're probably not aware of what composers are doing now with playing instruments in novel ways and trying to come up with fresh sounds so it's a fun show and hopefully we'll bring it to a city near you first came out to Hollywood, I did mostly very dark films. My first film was a vampire film. And then my second one was about a guy who assembles a, an army of arms that have been cut off of people. I don't know, <laughs> crazy stuff. And then I did an Amityville and a Hellraiser and a Children of the Corn. I did all that stuff. And then I worked with a producer. We did a Disney film called Don't Look Under the Bed. It was sort of a horror, but it was a horror for kids. You know? Yep. So then he went on to do some, some kind of broad comedy on television. So he brought me into the comedy world. Okay. And it was interesting because I did I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> he had to train me. He's like, you need to just start over. Wow. Rethink everything you do and yeah. And part of the part of the difference is is that, you know, when you're working on dramatic films, you want to keep drama going at all point. It's like a it's like a taut wire that you want to be pulling on. Okay. But in comedy, the the humor is that you pull the wire tight and then you let it go after, you know, 5 seconds. You don't want to be too dramatic. But what that did was doing a bit of the comedy, I started doing some Latin music. And that actually, from doing the comedy, that's what why I got hired on Dexter, because Dexter is has a kind of a very dark comedic aspect to it. Then it, I sort of went full circle back, back sure. to the darker stuff. Yeah, yeah. Your background, you studied a lot of jazz and a lot of world music, and there's an improvisatory, obviously, aspect to jazz music that in in some circles is non-existent in the classical world. I suppose it depends on what area you're talking about. But um, do you find that that is kind of how you compose? It's kind of an improvisatory process for you? Composition is actually improvisation that you write down. I mean, imp- improvisation is really just spontaneous composition is probably a better way to put it. And even most improvisers are 
secretly playing things they've already composed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'll be sitting in their rooms composing their licks that will fit into changes. Yes. That's the dirty secret of, of improvisation. I mean, obviously, you re, you're recombining things and you're echoing things you hear from other people. So it's... it's uh, but, um, yeah, improvisation is... It's definitely a part of my composition process, and especially now when with the work with computers, I play something to a scene all the time. Uh, like I just bring up a piano sound and just improvise to a scene. And some I'll work with paper as well. I'll kind of wow, well, that's a good feel, and then I'll say, okay, what did I actually play? And I'll, my analytical mind will take over, and I'll start figuring out what the harmonies are, or how can I make this better. Working on video games is is uh, is a lot of fun. You know, I've worked on film, I've worked on television, I've worked on video games. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first came out to uh, Los Angeles, uh, working in film, I had you one had like a solid six weeks to kind of come up with your score before you had to record it. So you had time to kind of develop a sound and develop a new concept, and that time has been much shortened. What I like about video games is that um, they happen over two or three years. So. Yeah. You do have that time to develop your sound. So that's what I really appreciate about that. Like with the Silent Hill, I did a lot of experimenting and a lot of tweaking to come up with, especially for the second one, I, I, I to come up with a really original sound, a new sound. The first one I wanted to make the players more comfortable and I kept more with what they were used to hearing in the Silent Hill world. Daniel, I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. Coming up, a chat with Joel Korolitz about his score for The Unfinished Swan. Now, for the fans of Jeremy Soule and his music for the Elder Scrolls series, a little gear shift here, you might want to check out his Facebook page because he's trying to drum up a bunch of support for a live orchestral concert of his music in New York City. Speaking of Facebook, Top Score is on it at Top Score Podcast. We're also on Twitter and Tumblr with that same handle, Top Score Podcast. 